Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming, for worshiping with us here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. One thing I would say to Ted Williams is my comb likes me better. It doesn't have to work as hard. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, and I certainly hope that you did, would you please take them out and turn with me once again to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. And as we continue our study through Mark's Gospel today, we are going to study a a section of Scripture that really most scholars say kind of brings to a close the second major set uh, or second major section of the Gospel of Mark. And and this is a, a section in which we read about a man named Bartimaeus whose sight is restored to him. And we will also read, though, that Bartimaeus gained much more than just his ability to see, uh, but that he, in his encounter with Jesus, that he actually in, had two miracles that happened with him. Number one, he, he was able to regain his sight. But secondly, and even more importantly, we're going to see that he was able to be saved. And it is that second miracle that is even uh, illustrated by the first and is greater than the first. I mentioned that this miracle that Jesus performed in giving sight to a blind man brings to a close the second section of the book of Mark. It began, uh, I believe, back in chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, when Jesus healed another man who had been born blind. That that healing that took place there in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 and following, talked about where Jesus touches a man who had been blind and and he was able to begin to see. And and, and since that time, from Mark chapter 8 all the way to where we are today, Jesus has been doing things. He's been telling his disciples about where he was going and what was going to happen to him. Three different times in this stretch of, of, of text, Jesus has described for his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, that he would be handed over to the scribes and, and to the Pharisees and that they would ultimately kill him and he would be mocked and he would be scourged and he would be crucified on a cross. And, and what we see is that throughout this part of this, this text, there's been sight given to his disciples, but then that sight has been, has been counteracted by blindness. For example... Peter, you'll recall, there in chapter 8, verse 29, was the first to describe Jesus Christ. He said, who do, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. In, in another, another uh, gospel we see, he, he adds to that, you are the Son of the living God. But just a few verses later, when, when Jesus says, I'm, though I am the Christ, I am going to the cross, and I'm going to be killed there, Peter says, no, Lord. He rebukes his own he, he rebukes his own master. And so he counteracts the, the sight that he displays with his own blindness. We see that happen again when, when Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes Peter and James and John with him. And up on that Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus sort of pulls back the veil of his humanity. And, and those three are able to see him in and, and, and the glory that had been his for all eternity. And they were given this vision, this insight into who Jesus really was. But then... Just a few verses later in chapter 9, they're walking behind Jesus with the other nine disciples and they're all arguing among one another as to who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They have sight, but then that sight turns into blindness. And then, of course, as we studied last week, James and John, they they try to to get to Jesus. And Jesus had been teaching about the way, the only way up is to go down. The only way for glory is, is through the cross. 
The only way to, to achieve real leadership is by serving. And he'd already told his disciples, look, if you want to be one of my disciples, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And then James and John come to him and ask him a question. It says, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit on your right hand and the other on your left? They didn't understand. They, 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 they had vision. Jesus was imparting wisdom, and yet they still remain, remained blind. So this section begins in chapter 8 with Jesus giving sight to a blind man, and then in the subsequent passages, we are confronted by the continued blindness of his own disciples, even in the face of all that Jesus reveals about himself and all that he teaches them. And so today we come to this passage there in chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. And we read about this man named Bartimaeus who was also blind, who receives his sight. So let's read our text this morning. Verse 46 of chapter 10, down through the end of the chapter, the Bible says this. Now they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat at the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. It's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the penetrating power of your word that sees into us helps us to recognize ourselves, helps us to understand who we are. Thank you for that it reveals who you are. Thank you that this text does that for us. And so my prayer is this morning is that as we examine it and we study it, that you would open our eyes, spiritual eyes, to begin to see what you would have us to understand about ourselves and about you. Change us, conform us into the image of your son, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. If you'll take a look at your outline that I have given to you in your bulletin this morning, you will note that I've given you two sections. The first section involves what we observe and, and what we learn from what Mark describes to us about blind Bartimaeus. And the second section involves what we observe and what we learn from Jesus, who is the Son of God. And, and both sections, I believe, are incredibly important, and they are important for this reason. You see, you and I must come to an understanding of who we are on our own. We have to understand what our condition is. We must understand what the Bible tells us about ourselves and what it reveals to us about our helpless and our hopeless condition. And what we, what we come to grips with is that 
That's bad news. It's bad news that we are faced with with regard to ourselves. But we don't end there. We don't stop with the bad news. And, and, and so when we examine what the scriptures reveal to us about Jesus, we begin to understand what the gospel is. And the gospel, by its very definition, is good news. It is good news that counteracts our bad news. And listen, we never come to understand nor appreciate the good news until we've truly come face to face with the bad news. We don't really understand how good it is until we understand how bad it is. Therefore, we begin with blind Bartimaeus. And we begin with the first sub-point that I have given to you underneath the title, Blind Bartimaeus. And what we learn about him simply is this. He was a blind man aware of his condition. Blind Bartimaeus was a blind man aware of his condition. Now, Mark begins this passage by telling us that Jesus was on the road there with a large contingent of followers and they came to Jericho. And Jericho, as you remember, was an Old Testament town, city that, that God had uh, allowed the Israelites to go in and to defeat and to overtake when he, they were going into Canaan. We find this in the, in the story there in Joshua. And, and, but that city, that original Old Testament city, had remained largely in ruins after Israel had defeated it. But a new city of Jericho had been, had been built just about a mile or so away from the, the old ruins. And, and it was down in, 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 in this area where there was an oasis. And it was it is said to be a beautiful city, surrounded by palm trees and, and roses. And it was just a gorgeous place right at the sort of the mouth of where the Dead Sea kind of opens up. And, and it's about 16 miles sort of east, northeast of Jerusalem. But here's the interesting part about Jericho. It, it sits about 3,300 feet below Jerusalem. It's down in the valley. And, and it's here that, that we learn that Jesus is there. And, and he's about to have to go and make this arduous climb up 3,300 feet to Jerusalem. Mark tells us that this is where Jesus is. And he's surrounded by a large multitude of people who are following him. It's the time of Passover. Jesus is going to Jerusalem for this reason. And as we know, as we mentioned last Sunday, Jesus has already told his disciples, look, when I get there, I'm going to be handed over by one of, somebody's going to betray me. They're going to hand me over to the authorities. The authorities are going to turn me over to the Romans. The Romans are going to scourge me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. And ultimately, I'm going to die. Jesus knew what lay in front of him. But before he gets there, he passes through Jericho where this blind man named Bartimaeus had already taken his position up by the road to beg for alms. Now, Bartimaeus, for him, this was exactly what, what, how he earned his living. He was a, he was a beggar. In that particular time in, in Palestine, if, if you were someone that had that kind of a, a, of, of a, of a handicap, there was no way that you could earn a source of income on your own. There was no government assistance. There was no social programs. Because of his disability, Bartimaeus was consigned to a life of begging for handouts. There's something interesting, though, that I want you to understand about Bartimaeus, something that, that we might blow past a little too quickly, and that is the fact that Mark gives him a name. If you go back and you read Mark's gospel, you'll find that he's the first person Jesus ever performs a miracle on that he actually names. Mark's not one to give out a lot of details like that. Matthew says there were two men on the side of the road. Mark just wants to focus on this one. Mark and Luke only focus on this one man. 
And Mark alone is the one who gives us his name. His name is Bartimaeus. And there's been a lot of conjecture as to why, but the real reason I think why is, is because, well, Bartimaeus probably became a pretty well-known person in that first century church. And Mark is recording his testimony for others to know about. What's also interesting is that, is that Mark says his name is Bartimaeus, and then he says he's the son of Timaeus. And that's interesting because in Hebrew, the, the prefix bar means son of. And so Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. And so a Hebrew person would have heard his name Bartimaeus and would have known instinctively, well, that's the son of Timaeus. But Mark says his name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, for a reason. That's because he wasn't writing to Hebrews. He wasn't writing to Hebrew-speaking people. He was primarily writing to Gentiles, people like us, who didn't know and understand Hebrew. And so he's, he's writing this to let us know who this specific man was. Now, what we don't know about Bartimaeus, though, is how long he'd been blind. Had it been since childhood, or did he lose it later in life? We don't know. What we do know is that he sat on the margins of society. We know that in that first century world, he was an outcast. He was someone whose survival depended upon him pleading for handouts. And as such, he was someone who didn't need to be told that he was blind. He knew his condition. And he knew his position in life. He was a blind beggar. But from what Mark tells us, what Bartimaeus lacked in physical sight, he more than made up for in spiritual insight. In fact, what I want you to notice the next subpoint on your outline there is we learn about blind Bartimaeus. He was an insightful man convinced of his only hope. He was an insightful man convinced of his only hope. You see, positioned where he was there along the side of the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, which was a very popular road and a very popular thoroughfare for people to make their way up to Jerusalem, he could no doubt sense that there were a lot of people coming through that day. In fact, this was the perfect time of year for him to be where he was at one of these, one of these moments when pe many people were traveling. He could really get a lot of donations and a lot of, a, a lot of gifts from folks at that particular time. But he no doubt sensed that there were a lot of folks and no doubt his hearing was very keen. And he could hear a lot of excitement being talked about in the crowd. And no doubt he wanted to know, why is everybody so excited? What are they all talking about? Who, what is creating all of this, this, this hubbub that's ha happening here? What's the fuss about? Why was this crowd so large? And what, what's interesting is that Luke picks up on this in his recording of this. In Luke chapter 18, verse 37, he says that the folks in the crowd answered Bartimaeus by telling him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Bartimaeus wanted to know who it was that was creating the stir the people said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I believe that that sparked something in Bartimaeus. I believe immediately he started going, wait a minute. I've heard about him. I've heard about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. I've heard he's a pain taker. I've heard that he's a chain breaker. I've heard that this man is somebody who's been out on the sea when a big storm came up and he was able to speak to it and it calmed down. I've heard that there were people who have been possessed by demons that he's been able to deliver them of their demons and they've been able to go on and live productive, normal lives. I've heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. He's one that people have brought to him 
on stretchers. They've tore open the roof of a house and dropped a man and he was lame and couldn't walk and yet he got up and began to leap. I've heard that there were people who couldn't speak and they came to Jesus and he was able to touch their tongue and suddenly they were able to speak like they had not been able to do before. And you know what else I've heard about Jesus? I've heard that the blind have been brought to him and he has been able to restore their sight. I believe that that was what Bartimaeus was thinking because according to what Mark tells us in verse 47, he says that as soon as he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, well, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, don't blow past that too quickly either because that's interesting. There's something interesting, quite strange, really, about what Bartimaeus says. He's been told that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by. But rather than cry out for Jesus of Nazareth, he cries out, Jesus, son of David. That's interesting. In fact, R.T. Kendall, excuse me, R.T. France has, has noted that in this, this is the only time in Mark when Jesus is addressed as son of David. And nothing in this gospel has prepared us for this specific title. Son of David is a messianic title. It, goes, it finds its origins all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promises to raise up an offspring of David who would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And yet right here, this blind beggar on the side of the road near Jericho calls Jesus Son of David. It's a title that understands Jesus to be the one who possesses the ability and the power and the authority to do things that only the Messiah could do. Psalm 146 verse 8 tells us this, that it is the Lord, it is the Messiah who opens blind eyes. According to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, in his messianic prophecies, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 29 verse 18, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. He writes in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Therefore, as James Edwards has written, Bartimaeus' determined hailing of Jesus as son of David carries explicit messianic overtones, and it shows that he looks to him as the Messiah who can bring healing and wholeness. That's why I said that though Bartimaeus may be physically blind, he shows astounding insight into the person and the work of Jesus. In fact, much more astounding insight than Jesus' own disciples have been showing. So Bartimaeus is a blind man who's aware of his condition. He's an insightful man convinced of his only hope. Which leads us to the last sub-point that we see there this morning. And that is that blind Bartimaeus was a persistent man unwilling to be deterred. He was a persistent man unwilling to be deterred. Notice that he started crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And immediately the crowd surrounding Jesus and coming through the town started saying, Shh, hush, hush, you're being too loud. You're making too, big of a, uh, uh, too much noise. Has that ever happened to you? tends to happen to me quite often. There's been times, and I know that many of you will find this very hard to believe, but there's been many times when 
I've been in the, you know, been in a conversation with somebody and I get excited and I start talking and and the more I talk, the louder that I tend to get and, and, and my excitement just continues to build. And, and as it builds, everything else begins to build with it. And I get really intense and really animated in the telling of the story. And suddenly, a little hand will come along, clasp itself in mine. And I'll turn and look into the beautiful blue eyes of my wife <laughs> who has perceived something that I had not perceived. And that is... I was too loud and too boisterous and making a scene. I'm thankful when she does that. I'm thankful that she knows when I need to be quiet. I want you to know that the crowd surrounding Jesus thinks that Bartimaeus needs to be quiet. Evidently, he's making a scene. Evidently, he's, he's creating a stir. The crowd around Jesus no doubt was loud, but still you could hear this man above them all. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he cried it out over and over and over again. And people kept shushing him. They kept telling him to be quiet. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Jesus is an important man. He doesn't have time for you. But all the more, Bartimaeus keeps crying out. Son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Well, I believe Bartimaeus' persistence in crying out to Jesus is tied to the fact that he knew he was blind. And it also is tied to the fact that he knew Jesus was his only hope of ever seeing that circumstance change in his life. This was his one shot this was his one opportunity to get Jesus' attention. Listen, he didn't care about his dignity. He didn't care what others thought of him. He didn't care about the socially acceptable way of handling himself. In fact, it seems that the opposition that he faced from the crowd seemed to only enhance his persistence. A persistence much like that that we see of Jacob in the Old Testament. You remember Jacob wrestled with God. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. To quote James Edwards once more, he says, the kingdom of heaven is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Bartimaeus is desperate, and his desperation is a doorway to faith. And I want you to notice that the marvel of the persistence of Bartimaeus's cry is, is matched and exceeded only by the essence of his cry. Notice what his cry was. His cry was simply this. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. As Derek Thomas has written, Bartimaeus wasn't claiming his rights. He wasn't claiming his status. He wasn't claiming his privileges because he didn't have any. He didn't come to Jesus to say that Jesus owed him something. He didn't come with a list of complaints about how hard life had been and how unfair that he should be blind. Bartimaeus simply cried for mercy. So that is what we learn from him. And I want you to know if the story ended right there, it'd be a sad story. But thankfully and mercifully, it does not stop there. Blind Bartimaeus' cry for, 
for mercy brought a response from Jesus, the son of David. And so now we turn our attention to our Savior. In fact, note the first subpoint under point number two this morning. You see, Jesus, the son of David, what we learn from this text is he is a Savior who stops when the desperate cry out. He is a Savior who stops when the desperate cry out. Notice how beautiful the words of verse 49 are. Bartimaeus had been bellowing out this same cry over and over again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in response, Mark tells us in verse 49, so Jesus stood still. I want you to know that those are absolutely astounding words. You remember last week we talked about Jesus, that he had set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. He knew what was coming, but he also knew for what he had been prepared. He knew that the cross was in front of him, but nothing was going to deter him from going to the cross to suffer and die for the sins of people just like you and just like me. And he went out in front of his disciples. He led the way. And he was going there undeterred. He would not be delayed. The time for which he had been prepared had come. We might even say it this way. Jesus was a man on a mission. But here in Jericho, a blind man cries out to him. And that cry of that desperate man brings Jesus to a stop. I think that is absolutely astounding. Sometimes we read our Bibles too quickly. And we don't concentrate and really chew on what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. And what he tells us here is that whenever the desperate cry out to him, he stops and he hears. The Lord of glory is standing still for this man. I'm not the only one that's amazed by this verse. I just want you to know. I've already quoted James Edwards twice. I'm going to quote him a third time here. He says, How remarkable that the Son of Man allows the cries of a poor and powerless person to stop him in his tracks. Kent Hughes, he writes this. He says, What a window into our risen Savior's heart. The heart's cry of one in need is far sweeter to Christ than the shallow hallelujahs of the crowds. You know, as I reflected on this thought this week and I just chewed on it and turned it over in my head, it occurred to me that blind Bartimaeus' cry for mercy is here being met with mercy from the one who will be shown no mercy. Think about that. Because brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. There is the essence of the gospel. We cry out for mercy and it is met with mercy from the one whom will show no mercy. What an absolutely beautiful scene we are given the privilege to look upon. Notice what Jesus does next, though. He not only stops, but then he commands to those around him, probably his own disciples, to go and call the man. And I don't want you to miss the irony of what takes place here. You see, what we, we know is that there had been many who had been telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. They had shushed him. Now, and, and, but now Jesus has stopped. 
Jesus has come to a standstill and, and Bartimaeus has gotten Jesus' attention. And now he sends for Bartimaeus to come to him. And those who go to Bartimaeus say to him in verse 49, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Don't miss the irony of that. Because just earlier, the crowd had been telling him to shut up. But now they come to him and they say, cheer up and rise up because the master wants to see you. Isn't that amazing? I get chills when I read that. I don't know how long Bartimaeus had been blind. I don't know if he had family to help take care of him. I don't know how long he, I don't know how long he had suffered, how, how long he'd had to beg. I don't know anything about Bartimaeus other than this, other than what the passage reveals. But I know this, he was a man whose physical limitations had defined him and kept him marginalized. And as such, he was a man who was in desperate need for the touch of the only one who could do anything for him and heal him. And in his desperation, he cried out again and again for mercy. And now someone has come to him and said, hey, Bartimaeus, Jesus stopped and he's waiting for you. Cheer up. Come on, man. I'm going to bring you to it. Now, the New King James translates what Mark writes next, saying that Bartimaeus rose. And I don't think that that verb is strong enough in the New King James. I really like the way the ESV translates it. He says that Bartimaeus sprang up. I like the NIV too. The NIV says that he jumped to his feet because the verb there in the Greek implies a, a real excitement in the action. It, it implies someone who's not willing. He didn't have to be told twice. He didn't have to be said, come on, let's get up and go. No, he sprung to his feet. Boom, he's on his way to Jesus. Mark also tells us that he threw his cloak aside. Now, a lot of folks have tried to make a lot of innuendos as to what all that means. I'm not one that likes to read too much into stuff that I don't think I've got a good way to, to support it. I do like what Brian Chappell has written about this. What he describes is, is that every man in Palestine at that time always had two things. They had a tunic and they had their cloak. And those things served as, as it was ways to, to keep the rain off of them. But particularly for a beggar, for someone who, who, who begged for a living, that was their security. It would serve as a way to stay warm when it was cold. It would serve as a bed for them to lay down on at night. It served for those kind of things. But notice what Bartimaeus does when he springs to his feet. He throws it aside because he is unwilling to allow anything to slow him down from getting to his only source of help. He wants to get to Jesus just as fast as he can. And I want you to notice as soon as he gets to Jesus, Jesus asks him this question that may appear silly on the front end. He says, what do you want me to do for you? That would be obvious, right? Wasn't it obvious? Maybe not. Because last week, Jesus asked this exact same question verbatim of James and John. And they answered, grant to us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left when you come into your glory. James and John were asked this exact question from Jesus. And what they said they wanted was power. They wanted prestige. They wanted authority. Jesus asks Bartimaeus this question. And he could have answered the questions maybe in similar ways. He could say, well, I want, I want money. 
I need, I need money. I want stuff. Could you replace the cloak that I just throw away with something nicer? Could you give me a home? No, he didn't ask for any of that. He went and asked for the only thing that Jesus Christ could give him. And Jesus could have given him anything, but he wanted the only thing that Jesus could give, and that was his sight. And in asking Jesus to give him his sight, Bartimaeus addressed him as Rabboni. Rabboni means my great one. It means, it means my master. Matthew tells us that Jesus was also addressed as Lord. And what that tells us, John MacArthur has noted that by using these terms, Bartimaeus places himself in submission to Jesus as his authority. And unlike James and John, who thought they deserved elevation, Bartimaeus knew he deserved nothing. He sought only mercy. He sought only to receive what he did not deserve. So, Jesus has demonstrated himself to be a savior who stops when the desperate cry out. He's one who gives attention to the helpless and the hopeless. But I want you to know that's still not the best part of the story. Let me take you to it. The second subpoint underneath there is, is, is this. Jesus is a savior who saves those who place their faith in him. Jesus is a savior who saves those who place their faith in him. I want to show you something important in this text. Notice that Mark says that, that the way that, that, that Jesus responds to Bartimaeus' request is by saying, look, go your way, your faith has made you well. The NIV translates it this way and says, go, your faith has healed you. And so those two verbs, that your faith has made you well, your faith has healed you, I want you to know that verb in the Greek is the word sozo. That's not important, but what is important is what it actually means. It means to be saved from something. And it's interesting that Jesus used that word to describe what was taking place with Bartimaeus. He wanted him to know that he had been physically healed and that his sight had been returned, but something greater was taking place. He was experiencing spiritual healing as well. In other words, Bartimaeus not only received his physical sight, but he was also given spiritual sight, a miracle of far greater significance and far greater importance. How do I know that? Well, notice Bartimaeus' response. Mark says in verse 52, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I want you to notice that Bartimaeus goes from being a beggar on the road to being a follower along the road. He goes from, from being an outcast, marginalized from society and being, to being one who falls in behind Jesus along with all of the other disciples and sets his course for Jerusalem and for Calvary's cross right behind his master. Friends, that is what faith does. Faith in Jesus Christ issues forth in salvation. Jesus saves those who place their faith in him. And that salvation issues forth in discipleship. As one has put it, faith that, does not, faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Whoever asks of Jesus must be willing to follow Jesus, even on the uphill road to the cross. So I began today by telling you that Bartimaeus experienced two miracles on that day on the road to Jericho that that the second was illustrated by the first and that the first was far greater. In other words, though he was healed of his physical blindness, that miracle, as astonishing and, and as, as hard to comprehend as it is, well, that miracle actually gives way to the greater miracle 
of him being given spiritual sight and receiving his salvation. And that then leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. The point of this passage really is this. Jesus is always ready to bring sight and salvation to those who will admit their spiritual blindness and their need to be saved and trust in him as Savior and Lord. Now, in light of that, there's some important questions that I think we must ask. The first one is this. Are you, like Bartimaeus, aware of your blind and hopeless condition? You see, the Bible tells us that apart from Christ, all of us are hopelessly and helplessly lost. The Bible tells us that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded us to the truth of the gospel. He's blinded us to the fact that, that the Spirit of God is working in our lives to, to bring about sight. The Holy, the Holy Spirit speaks to us that we may gain that sight. We have been given the Scriptures to, to enlighten us to our spiritual condition. The question is, do you recognize that about yourself? Are you aware of it? I want you to know that is the very first thing that must happen in your life if you will be saved. You must admit your sinful condition and recognize your blindness and recognize your lostness. Second, do you recognize Jesus to be your only hope? Do you understand that the bad news of your lostness can only be changed by the good news of the gospel? The Bible tells us plainly that in his love for lost and blind sinners, just like you and just like me, that Christ demonstrated his love by going to Calvary's cross and dying in the place of sinners just like you and just like me. He bore our punishment so that we might be set free from the penalty and the power of sin. You must come to that understanding. Not only that you are blind and lost, but that Jesus is your only source of hope and help. Third, are you willing to lay everything aside? Are you willing to jump up and run to him? Allowing nothing or no one to hinder you from coming to him in order to be saved. The way I could ask that question differently would be this. How important is eternal life to you? And what are you allowing to keep you from it? Friends, these are important questions. They're important because what was true for Bartimaeus is true for every one of us in this room. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually blind and worse we are headed for hell, condemned because of our sin. But I have good news. The master is coming by. And I want you to know this. We're not promised. We're not promised another opportunity to come to him. The fact is that Jesus would never pass through Jericho again. In fact, just a few days later, his life would be taken from him on the cross. This was the final walk through that city. And had Bartimaeus listened to the voices of those who shushed him, had he said, I'll wait for another more convenient opportunity, he would have never received his sight. Friend, the gravity of this passage tells us that the necessity of action, the necessity of placing your faith in Christ is real. Therefore, using the words... Of those in the crowd, I want to say this to you today. Take heart. Be of good cheer. 
rise, get up. Jesus is calling you. He's, he's calling you to come to him. Beg him for his mercy. Ask him to take away your darkness. Ask him to take away your sin and give you life. Because brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray together.